0: Lord, you have given us a powerful witness in the Scriptures, your word. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, given from heaven, we pray that we may now have hearts which are open to receive your word. It's like little Rebecca's receiving milk from a bottle there now. We desire the sincere milk of your word that nourishes us and causes us to grow And brings us to maturity. May it be helped now. May we all be helped now by the Holy Spirit, both the one who speaks and those who hear. For Jesus' honor, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hebrews 11 is a whole chapter devoted to explaining and exampling to us that statement the just shall live by faith in fact that's verse 38 of chapter 10 the whole of chapter 11 is explaining to us what that means what that looks like and although the the video talked about heroes of faith it then talks about the fact that god wants to do those same things for us the fact is we don't set these people on pedestals we set them as examples we see them as examples we are to become like these people because this every one of them gives us some information about what living by faith looks like, sounds like, feels like. The just, the righteous, believers, Christians, will live by faith. What does that look like? So we come to the man who is held up in Scripture as the key example of a man who was justified by faith in God and lived by that faith, Abraham. Abraham, the man of faith. He's not the first one mentioned. We've already dealt with Abel and with Enoch, With Noah, but this man becomes an example to us because through him the whole family of faith comes into being. Because he receives promises about God is going to have a worldwide family of people, of which Abraham's gonna be kind of like the the patriarch, he's gonna be the first one through whom a whole multitude are going to find the same way of life living by faith. One of the names which is given to us as Christians is this, Children of Abraham. Sounds strange if something makes it sound like we're all Jews. Well, we are in a way. And There's a great deal of tension in the Middle East between those who claim to the land and the promises and all the rest of it. But the New Testament clearly says that the true children and heirs of Abraham are those who have the same faith as Abraham. John the Baptist told the Jewish people of his day, do not suppose you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. In Romans 4, Paul argues that the promises to Abraham came to heirs, descendants who were not of natural birth or under the law or circumcised, but have the same faith. They are justified by grace through faith in Jesus. Let me give you that from Galatians 3. This is straight scripture. Even so Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Let me give you righteousness definition again from the last few weeks. Righteousness is right relationship with God of his making. He puts us into right relationship with him, which leads to behavior, lifestyle, which is in accordance with, suitable for that relationship. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not legalism. It's how do I live now since I'm now connected to God through Jesus. That's righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. The scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, that's everybody's not Jewish. That's just about most of us in this room. Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham the believer. For as many hours of the works of the law are under a curse, it's written, cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law, to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is clear, is evident. For, Scripture says, the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them them, shall live by them. Christ is Messiah redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, in order that in Christ Jesus, Messiah Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Those verses really should be a a health warning against some of the tracks that some preachers and teachers are trying to take us down. Remember, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. It's those who are of faith who are blessed with Abraham, the believer, and the blessing of Abraham has come to Gentiles who have the faith of Abraham. They are his promised children. Now, said already, Abraham was the, not the first man justified by faith. We've heard about three already, and there were more. But at least Abel, Enoch, and Noah. Lived without the law. They lived hundreds of years before the law was given. They were not under the law. They were not under an old covenant. You say, well, what covenant were they under? The covenant of grace. Covenant of mercy. The covenant of the just shall live by faith. The law when it came was a temporary arrangement. Paul in Galatians uses the analogy of a guardian or schoolmaster who instructs and keeps order until Messiah came. The just shall live by faith was not invented by Luther and the Reformation. It's always been God's way of salvation. It was operational in the first generations of humanity from Adam and Seth onwards. It's how Abraham and his descendants were justified before God and lived before God. It's how people even under the law of Moses were justified and accepted. Not through works, through faith. It's how we now are accepted and adopted and live as believers it operated before even Jesus came and lived and died for us. You say, well, how can that be? Because God's an eternal God. One scripture even says that Christ was crucified before the world was made. His suffering, now it wasn't literally in time, but the suffering of Jesus was counted by the Father even before it happened. And the benefit of what Jesus said on the cross is how Abraham was saved. He was saved before the cross because the cross would happen. Jesus would pay full atonement for Father Abraham as well as the rest of us. Abraham was redeemed and reckoned righteous through faith. And Jesus, who is yet to come, was and is Abraham's Savior as much as ours. We'll come back to that later. Let's get to Hebrews 11. Get into it. He was not the first man justified by faith, but he's the example of a whole now multi-generational, multinational international group of people who are the children of God through faith in Jesus Christ by faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going some of us might feel a bit like that at the moment not knowing where we're going let me give you a bit of background Abraham lived in a place the Bible calls Ur of the Chaldees. It's down in modern-day Iraq. It was a city and, indeed, an advanced civilization for its time. If you go to the British Museum in Bloomsbury, I'm not saying you need to do that in your face series. I know you're rushing around all over the place. You can go to a room which contains exhibits from the very place and time that Abraham came from. It's the Ur of the Chaldees room or the Sumerian room. It was a wealthy civilization. There's a bit of bling for you, isn't it? (laughs) It was wealthy if you were rich. Not everybody was. It was full of bling if you were rich. They built massive buildings called ziggurats. Those are American soldiers climbing the ruins of one. That's only about half the height it would have been. A kind of pyramid... But they practiced human sacrifice and worshipped idols. Their main god was Nana, the moon god. Now some of that sounds familiar in all sorts of directions. And we are not supposed to, we are not to suppose that Abraham was any different from his neighbors. In fact, Stephen, when he preaches on this in Acts chapter 7, seems to be clearly making the point. Abraham was not a believer, he was a pagan. But God spoke to him, God called him, God appeared to him, And he became a believer. He speaks of, Stephen speaks of the God of glory appearing to and speaking to Abraham. It was pure grace. God decided to show up and have this man follow him. The Lord chose Abraham, appeared to him, and spoke to him. God's word produced faith in Abraham. Faith begins with God's word. The Lord called Abraham to set out unto a country that he would show him. Here it is from Genesis. The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to the land, which I will show you, and I'll make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll name great, and so you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. It was the obedience of faith. By faith, when he was called, obeyed. He thought, do you think, oh, that's, that's the thought, I'll, 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 I'll sit with that for a while, I'll let that rest for a bit and see where that goes to. When he was called, he obeyed. When God spoke to him, faith was formed in Abraham, and he obeyed. Now, Abraham was not without fault. He was no alabaster saint with a halo around his head. All right? He had faults, he made mistakes, but when God spoke to him on a number of occasions, he believed God and acted accordingly. That is the foundation of faith. God has spoken. I believe him, I'll do what he asks of me. Faith begins with God's word, which must be heard. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ, which we're talking about the gospel. But having been heard, faith obeys God's word. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Faith continues in obedience. Faith is seen in obedient action, which the Bible calls works. Now, if you try to pile up works to earn your way to God, it doesn't work. But if by faith you're responding to God's word and obeying it, those are works of faith. Those are commended by God because they're coming from a heart that believes him and trusts him and is obeying him. You're not trying to earn anything from him. You're simply doing what he tells you to do. You're simply following him. Works of faith are the evidence of his grace in us and of our faith towards him. And it distinctly says what he did. When he was called, he obeyed going out, not knowing where he was going. Abraham didn't know where he was going, but he set out because God told him to. He had God's promises. He was assured, He was assured that God had his best interests. In fact, the Lord led Abraham firstly from uh, up to Haran, which is way up there, on, almost on the border, border of Turkey, I should think. And that's where his father died, and then he came down into Canaan, into particularly, he was around Hebron in later years. What the writer to the Hebrews in the 80s, 70s, 60s rather, tells us next might surprise you. Here's Abraham. He's a man with huge promises, isn't he? God's spoken to him, he's appeared to him, he's given these great promises. Listen to this. Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, dwelling in tents with Isaac, that's his son, and Jacob, his grandson, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. The Lord led Abraham to Canaan. He lived there. He raised his son Isaac and then his grandson there. Grandsons, in fact, Isaac and Esau. But the only piece of land that Abraham ever owned was his wife's grave. He was promised the whole land. The only bit he owned was a cave in which he buried his wife. He lived in tents and moved around tending flocks. I want you to notice this word. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. The the word there is actually parapedimos, which is a Greek word. It's a very simple word. It means you keep walking. You keep walking. It's otherwise translated as a pilgrim, an exile, or even a refugee. How many of you want to be called one of those? Wasn't he promised the land? Yes, he was. Didn't he possess it in his lifetime then? No, he didn't. Neither did his son Isaac or his grandson Jacob. Generations later, after 400 years in captivity in Egypt, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob went up and began to take possession of their promised land. Abraham didn't receive what was promised to him in his lifetime, yet he believed God. And he lived like an alien, a pilgrim. By faith too, Abraham was looking for the city which has foundations, as architect and builder is God. Having left Ur of the Chaldees, and then Haran, he lived in a tent, out in the countryside, looking for God's city. And he never found it in his lifetime. The fact is, the Bible is very honest. The Bible is a remarkable document for its antiquity. By which I mean this, when you go to literature of the same kind of period, 2,000 years, 3,000 years before Jesus and so on. Everybody's a hero. Everybody, gets, everybody becomes like a giant, like a, like a god, like a superhero, you know, like, like, like Batman, Spider-Man kind of character. They're bigger than life, you know. The Bible tells about people who've got warts. Do you know what I mean? Faults. Faults. Have you think, my goodness, they did that? Yeah, they did. They were just human. That's why we mustn't heroize people like Abraham. James says, Elijah was a man just like us. And we go, no, he wasn't. (laughs) Couldn't have been. You unbeliever. Rejecting God's word. The Bible says, Elijah was a man just like us. These people had ups and downs. These people made mistakes. And at least twice in his life, Abraham tried to settle. When there was a famine in Canaan, he went down to Egypt. When he got there, he lied about, about Sarah being his sister. She was his half-sister, but she was his wife. But he pretended she wasn't his wife, she was his sister. So she was available for some sort of you know, intercultural marriage that cemented covenants and agreements and all the rest of it. And, and, and when Pharaoh found out, he kicked him out. You can go back where you came from. <laughs> Years later, after some successes and doing some good stuff in between. He made the same mistake, and he went, he went to Gera, a city in Canaan, and he tried to get on the good side of Abimelech. He the same lie about his wife. And this was scores of years later. He made the same mistake, told the same lie. He said, duh! <laughs> Don't you get it? Here's the lesson. Every time Abraham tried to compromise with the world... And settle for something other than what God had given him and chosen for him. It went badly for him. Sound familiar? He was blessed and secure when he lived in tents. I won't make jokes about intense living. (laughs) He lived before God as an alien, a pilgrim, a refugee. That's where God's grace met him. That's where he knew God's presence and purpose. But sometimes he failed to trust God, chose another way, and he learned by hard experience what was actually best for him. The phrase there is he dwelled by faith. Lesson for us, dwelling by faith. On the whole, in his better times, Abraham lived by faith in tents. The place wasn't permanent. It was only a stopping point on a continuing journey. Perhaps, though, in time, he learned to say, do you know what, I'd rather live on a tent on a hillside with the Lord's hand on me, than live in luxury in a sinful city. You see, his nephew Lot made the mistake. Oh, that looks nice down there. He went down there as a herdsman. Before long, he's living in the middle of a city. He's vexed by it. He's bothered by it, but he's living in it. And he made his choice. That's where he went. Please don't understand me. I'm not advocating the return of hermits and monks and nuns. Jesus and himself himself and the New Testament writers, though, are consistent in telling us this. We are saved from the world, yet we still live in the world. We are salt and light to the world, but we are not of the world. We are something else. We're something different. When we stop thinking like that, and we start to think, oh, I, I just need to get on with everybody. I just need to get on with the world and I've got, got to make myself acceptable. I, 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 mustn't beat, I mustn't irritate them. I mustn't upset everybody, anybody. I've, I've, got to, I've got to make them comfortable with me. Do you know what? We're headed for trouble. Because those things are true and unchangeably true. We're safe from the world. And even though we live in the world and we're, we are salt and light to the world, we are not of the world. Now I'm going to read on in Hebrews, mention Sarah, but ladies, we're coming back to Sarah next week, because it's Mother's Day, all right? So we'll reserve Sarah until next week. (laughs) By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who promised. Therefore there was born of one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead, because he was an old man, and let's be shit clear about it, was past it. He was as good as dead. But from him, many descendants, as the stars, and this is the promise of God, remember, as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sands by the seashore were born. That innumerable seed of Abraham is gathered in buildings and no buildings all over the planet today. It's the church of Jesus Christ. All who've come to faith in Jesus. Now, The scripture itself gives us our conclusion and application for today. I don't need to make it up or work on it. It's here. It says this. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they'd been thinking of that country from which they went out, implying the world, or or Ur of the Chaldees, or Egypt, or wherever else, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That word parapetimos again is there. We, they confess themselves to be aliens and strangers, pilgrims. Like Abraham, we too live as aliens in a land of promise. So that the land that really is ours becomes to us like a foreign land because a whole lot's got to change before we, it can be the way it should be. And even if we have the promises of God and even if you know we have prophetic burdens and we're carrying kind of promises and so on, guess what? We might not see them in our lifetime. We just might not. Let, let me break off a minute. We live in a very arrogant generation. There are we, the preachers talk like it and the songs come out like it like all those old folks they missed it yeah but we are the lads <laughs> we're going to make it happen we're going to see it through <laughs> now they're not sung like that you know but, but they're kind of you know jolly, jolly jolly but there's something in the attitude which I call arrogance i want to name this this way this morning before us Many generations of thorough, godly, believing people have lived and died believing God and did not see what they longed to see. They were no less than us. So to criticize them and to dumb them down and every the rest of it, I think, is completely inappropriate. And we may not be the generation. I might not be the generation. I may not be alive when Jesus comes. You say, "Don't you believe He's coming?" Yes, of course I do, absolutely. But it may not be in my lifetime. I'm not talking about the unbelieving world here. I'm not talking about the church. We need to change our attitude and stop being so boastful. You know, there was the scripture of Proverbs? He said, that, "You know, let not him who boasts as he goes out to war until he comes back from the war." You know. Let him not boast as he puts on the armor. Let him boast when he's finished the fight. Robbie, can you help me there? It's in there somewhere, isn't it? <laughs> then not him who, not, not, you know, the one who boasts can boast when he comes back from the battle, having finished it, but not when he's put in his armor going out. All these died in faith, without receiving the promises. They received the promises, but not what was promised. Having seen them and welcomed them from a distance, and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. This is where what are called restorationists or reconstructionists are mistaken. You know, the Christians who think we should take over the government of the nations, or maybe just one nation will do, and have the kingdom here and now. It's all going to happen now if we can just get in the right places. It won't, you know. Because we live in a fallen world which won't be truly transformed until Jesus comes. We will inherit and receive the kingdom of our Father. But the kingdom of this world is not ours yet. The earth is ours, but not yet. All sound theology agrees we live in the now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Jesus reigns now, but he brings his kingdom to earth when he comes again. That's why we pray every day, Your kingdom come. Because we're experiencing it now, but not fully. We can't have it all now. This earth must be cleansed and renewed by fire before we inherit a new world, a transformed creation. And we ourselves must be resurrected or transformed to be fitted for that new age. So now we live as aliens in a land of promise, as if in a foreign land. You know, I've, I've been following the, the rugby this, uh, this season. I uh, still prefer the northern game to a union, but anyway. They were singing, whenever you get the Welsh together at a rugby event, they always sing this hymn. Amen. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I should be through this barren land. Thou I am weak, but thou art mighty. Hold me with thy powerful hand. It's a great rolling Welsh hymn. And the best English can come up with is, uh, is Swing Low. At, at and they do swing low like yesterday Um, (laughs) I I don't know whether to be Welsh or English when I'm watching Matchup anyway it's a good prayer isn't it it was written by someone who understood some Bible truth we are pilgrims we are strangers in a foreign land even though this is our land it's the Lord's and it should be ours with him but not yet. So we live in anticipation of something still to be. Carrying ourselves with dignity as the children of God who are heirs of the world. Peter wrote about it. I'll just read it to you. 1 Peter 1 verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout... Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. I'd like to preach these, but I can't. May grace and peace be yours in fullest measure. And then further down in chapter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellences of him has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You hadn't received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Next verse, straight on, says, Therefore, beloved, I urge you as, here's the words again, aliens and strangers as pilgrims, refugees, to abstain from fleshly lusts that wage war against the soul and keep your behavior excellent amongst the Gentiles so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, on the day of judgment, that's like, my, oh my, 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 they, they were right and they showed me they were right and they lived the way that you said We confess that we are strangers and exiles on Earth. These people saw the promise and confessed before God, "I am a stranger and a pilgrim." You find the language in the book of Psalms. Now to confess something like that takes some thought and conviction, and then a decision, and then the confession, you say it out loud, you say that it's true, and then a lifestyle. Are you this morning, my friends, convinced that living by faith in Jesus means living as a stranger and pilgrim in regards to this present world? There's an old expression in English, you know, that young man needs to make his way in the world. (laughs) Are you making your way in the world, son? (laughs) Should be a up at the engine, yeah. In other words, are you building a career? Are you getting on? You know, are you gathering wealth? Are you gaining a reputation? You know, Are you moving up the, the ladder? My friends, do you know what? We're not called to make our way in the world. We're called by the help of the Holy Spirit, God with us, to make our way through the world to a better destination, to a greater goal. We're en route. We're on a journey. This is not it it gets a whole heap better. We must navigate many traps, many distractions. We must overcome many obstacles to our faith and obedience to Jesus. We're living as God's people in a world, here's the phrase, that wars against our soul. We're having a conversation, some of us this week, I've, I've stopped that, I've cut that out. You know, not, not obviously, obviously wicked, wicked, wicked stuff, but you know, I just can't be doing that stuff anymore. Do you know why? Because you find it pulls, it tugs, it wars against your soul. When you recognize that, you make a good decision. I'm not doing that. Out with that. Whatever it is. We live for what we cannot lose, even in death. You know, when someone is desperately ill, they'll give all they possess to be well again. They'd give it all away if they could just be better. But we live for what we cannot lose. It cannot be taken away for us. To quote Jesus and Peter and others, it's laid up in heaven for us. It's where moth can't, corrupt it, can't eat it and rust can't destroy it and no one can steal it. It's incorruptible. It's more precious than gold. It's our future destiny. as the children of God with our Heavenly Father in a whole new creation. Like Abraham, we are not settlers. We are pilgrims. We're looking for a city, a society, a community that only the Lord can build. And twice Abraham missed it and thought, this will do. No, it wouldn't. It's not the kingdom of this world. It's the kingdom of God. Jesus said, I will build my church, my great society, my great community, the place where he's king. It's happening, and the kingdom of Jesus is growing. I know they'll tell you stats that by such and such year, the whole world will have turned to another religion, but do you know what? Jesus has said this, I will build my church. His kingdom is growing, his church is growing, but do you know what? It's not perfect yet. I'm not trying to criticize the church, but you know, I'm, I'm not, it doesn't take much to say it's not perfect. Why isn't it perfect? Because we're not perfect. We've still got growing up to do. We've still got to come to maturity. But we are communities of light in dark places. Even in this dark world, we are light to the world. We read Isaiah 60 last week, one of my favorite scriptures, or was it the week before? But the day will come, the dawn, it's called in scripture, when we, the city of God, will live in a renewed creation, and the light of the Lord himself will fill us and shine from us, and we'll be a city of the light of God in a world full of the light of God. By the way, New Jerusalem's is an analogy, it's an illustration, it's a prophetic picture. It's talking about us, the brother of Christ. This, hot, this, this incredible community of God, filled with his presence, filled with his light. You know, there's no moon or stars or sun needed in the new creation. God himself fills the place with his light. Like Abraham, we filled with the promises of God. But we do not now have all that is promised to us. Full inheritance is just not possible in our continuing condition and in this fallen world. Paul in Romans even describes creation as groaning like a, like a woman in labor, waiting for the glorious revealing of the sons of God. Creation's groaning, waiting for that day. So we live by faith in God through Jesus as aliens and pilgrims on a journey, looking for the day, looking for the city, looking for it all finally to come together into one head, one Lord, Jesus himself. That is what Hebrews 11 teaches us as another part of what it means for us to live by faith. It's all about Jesus. I'll say it again in coming weeks, maybe three, four weeks' time. Abraham foresaw the coming of Messiah. He probably received the promise handed on through the generation of some Adam and Seth and so on about the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman would be born of a woman and he would de- defeat the devil, crush his head and he would undo the curse of the fall of man. But when Stephen affirmed to the Jerusalem council the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, the Chaldees, Samaria, before he dwelt in Haran, who or what do you think Abraham saw? Well, according to John 1, 18, he saw the Son of God. He saw the face of the Son of God. The Son has always been the image and revealer of the Father. Abraham saw the Lord Jesus before his incarnation as the messenger of Yahweh, and he spoke to him. Later on, Abraham prophesied when he took his son Isaac as an offering to the Lord, because the Lord had commanded him. We'll come to that in a few weeks' time. Here's to sum up what Jesus said about Abraham. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You're not yet 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, Before Abraham was born, I am. We worship Jesus. Who is the Lamb of God and God the I Am, Yahweh. And if we follow Jesus in this world we cannot truly belong to this world. We're travelling through. When I was a little kid my mum would be doing the ironing and in those days it shows how old I am. In our household we had a reel-to-reel tape player. Not cassettes, reel-to-reel and she played Jim Reeves' songs on the reel-to-reel. Reel. You're thinking I'm, I was born in the 1930s. this <laughs> <laughs> 1600, thank you very much. And one of the songs I remember from those days, Stay Soon to This Day, is this one. I'm not going to sing it. My voice is nearly gone. This world is not my home. I'm just travelling through. My treasure is laid up. Somewhere beyond the blue. Oh, how sweet, how trite. No, it's true. And when life gets really tough, you want to start believing that. Your real treasure isn't here. If you're living for what you can lose, you just might lose it. We need to live for what we can never lose. Because it's laid up with Jesus. We keep walking with the Lord. We can't afford to compromise, to get cozy with an unbelieving world. It will all be ours. The humble, the Gentile, will inherit the earth in the kingdom of Father. But not yet. Not in this fallen and corrupted condition. We're following Jesus. But I remind you, need, do I need to remind you that as we do so, the world won't be happy about it. It seems to me that our society is increasingly opposed to those who seriously want to live for Jesus and love him and obey him. To which my response is, amen. So be it. We rejoice if we're mistreated for his namesake. sake. It's all about Jesus. Nothing else really matters. We sing these songs. Our songs are much better than where we're at sometimes. It will all pass away, but he will remain. This is the word of the Lord to Abraham. I want you to put your name there and make it yours. Do not be afraid. Mm -hmm. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. The Lord himself is our reward. The eternal God is our treasure. We don't need the riches and fame and power of this world. The Lord himself is our reward. We don't need to have the world now. We'll get it anyway when we see him. Abraham's faith started when he saw the Lord and heard his voice. So let me ask you this question as we close and we go into breaking bread. Do you know the Lord Jesus? Have you encountered him? Have you seen him and heard him? I I don't mean with your literal eyes and ears, of course. But in your heart, you're in a being. The God of glory appeared to have. Has the glory of Jesus captivated you to devotion and obedience? Forgive me, my American friends, but we've so misused the word awesome. See, only God truly is awesome. Like, heart-stoppingly, breathtakingly amazing. When you've encountered him, life can't be the same. The God of glory. Has the God of glory ever touched you? Ever shown himself to your inner being? Has the light gone on that you sink? Wow! That's what captures your heart to obedience. Having encountered him. See, otherwise you kind of the preachers whip you up and you whip yourself and then you're trying to do the right thing. And it's all about jute and it's all about legalism really. But when you've when he's captured your heart, you'll want to do what he says. You'll want to walk with him. You'll want to obey him. Has his glory captured you? Do you read the scriptures to find out more about him? Do you speak to him in prayer? Because, friends, there is really only one way worth living. It's believing in and following Jesus. Living by faith.